Hello and welcome to Centre for Mental Health's podcast. Centre for Mental Health challenges policies, systems and society so that everyone can have better mental health. I'm Thea Joshi and each episode I speak to people with experience of mental health difficulties, someone working in a specific area or a member of our team about mental health and social justice. And today our guest is Claudia Turbot-Deloff. Claudia is a local counsellor in Hackney where she's a mental health champion. She's also a person-centred therapist and a human rights campaigner. And it was really moving to hear about Claudia's experience of growing up in poverty in Bolivia, moving to the UK and facing depression and racism. And just to note that the conversation does make reference to racist language and sexual abuse. Claudia was really honest in sharing all she's been through and how that's driven her to campaign for mental health as a human right across her work. And this conversation was really the perfect way to kick off a new year working for social justice in mental health. So hope you enjoy. So Claudia, welcome to our first episode of 2024. It's wonderful to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for the space. I'm super excited. Yes, uh, starting 2024 with a lot of energy and uh, what an amazing way to connect with, you know, with our communities. And thank you for the opportunity. Oh, amazing. Um, I have heard lots about you. And so we're really happy to have you here. And so am I right in saying so you were born in Bolivia and you migrated to London as a young adult? Is that is that right? Yes, that's right. So I migrated to the UK in 2023. Uh, sorry, 2003. <laughs> uh, it's been 20 years. Uh, I migrated from Bolivia. Uh, there was actually a, a big uh, mass migration period happening in Latin America. And around 1.2 million Bolivians uh, left the country in a space of seven years. And I was one of those people. Uh, so it was a mass migration uh, at a very difficult political time in Bolivia and also in the region. Wow. Okay. And I'd love to know a little bit more about like how, and I know this is a massive question, but like, how would you say your experiences, both uh, growing up in your childhood in Bolivia and then also migrating to the UK, how have they shaped you as a person? Tell us a bit more about yourself. My story is definitely the backbone and the foundation to everything I do now, and I'm sure of, of things I will continue to do probably to the end of my days. Um, for me, my background uh, is uh, very much related to extreme poverty, um, uh, destitution, intergenerational racism, um, experience of, uh, um, I think, debt and poverty. And, and that feeling that you will always, so you could be homeless any moment, uh, that really informs what uh, I do now. And, and I think for me, being in that environment uh, in a country at the time where we had, uh, you will notice right away that I'm quite political. <laughs> I'm also an elected councillor uh, for uh, the London Borough of Hackney, which is what my home now. I think since a young age, I was very highly aware of politics, uh, not in the sense of the, those type of politics that don't do anything, but actually the politics that can cause change. Um, because in my story, uh, Bolivia, uh, part of the Latin American region, had experienced and has experienced a lot of uh, neoliberal uh, sort of type of politics, governments, you know, the, the, the very classic sort of uh, colonial style 
policies where they come and take your resources. There is a lot of extractivism. There is a lot of, you know, benefit and profit for big multinationals and corporations, but actually very little left for the people uh, of, of the country. Uh, a lot of abuses, a, you know, a lot of lack of respect to workers' rights, a lot of, uh, you know, modern slavery, and so on, especially attacks on the working class uh, because they are sort of like the majority the majority of Bolivia is indigenous, so 70% of the country is indigenous. And uh, the my upbringing has been seeing a constant daily attack on our communities because of that process in which the country had been developing resources, natural resources being taken to, you know, to big multinationals, and then trying to keep the working class always kind of like really, really below uh, in a hierarchical sort of class system. Yeah. So my upbringing is seen, for example, and, and I know this sounds this this will sound quite heavy for for many, and I and I hope it's not too triggering. But I have been, a, a, I have, I have grown up in an environment where there will be a lot of racism against indigenous peoples to the point of you know, uh, I've seen unfortunately, indigenous people being hit, beaten on the street. Uh, I've seen people being burned alive, unfortunately, uh, because of race. So I have, since a young age, felt the anger and mm. the upset of the injustice system. Yeah. And because my family, we are a uh, Black Caribbean descent, uh, in, my, in, in Bolivia, there are not many uh, uh, people from uh, sort of the Caribbean and not many Black people. So mm. we kind of stood out. Uh, there were not many um, of us, uh, but we, and I saw, not not on me as such, uh, but I saw in my cousins how, you know, there was a lot of fun made out of the Afro hair. They used to call my grandma, which I didn't meet because she passed away quite young. Unfortunately, I didn't have, you know, the, the, the pleasure of meeting her in person, but uh, she's sort of like a legend in our family. Mm. And my grandma, a, a very strong black woman, um, they call her Beanbag. Mm. So that was the, the the nickname that I grew up hearing all the time. And I was called a Beanbag too. Mm. And um, when I left Bolivia, just as a quick uh, example, I was working in a, you know, in a company that actually was sort of, I couldn't go to university, but that, I feel that that was my university in a way, uh, in terms of my social uh, and my militants and my view on social justice. Um, uh, they used to call me monkey in that place. And that, I mean, I was 23 years old the last time I was called a monkey face to face. Um, and uh, they would say, oh, call your little monkey to come and take oh. a minute. And the thing is though, uh, yeah, that, you know, this is the reality that happened mm -hmm. across the world. I mean, I know my story, it, just these are just snippets of what I'm telling you. My mm -hmm. story, you know, is uh, and what forms sort of like you know, where my values and my stance, mm -hmm. uh, especially on social justice, and then we'll come to mental health and why it's so important for mental health. Um, because this is not exclusive, this is not unique. At this very moment, there are people that are experiencing even worse uh, things. They're actually, at this moment, there are many people being killed uh, for, for the race, uh, for the natural resources, and so on. So this is why I feel so passionate and 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 in that period, just to make sense, I guess on 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 the mental health side, I experienced on top of that, I had unfortunately also a, a very difficult upbringing with, at home. So there was a lot of sort of like abuses and negligence 
And I know if I had been in the UK and if there had been a social service uh, system, I would have been taken care, I would have been taken out of my home. I wasn't because such system didn't exist. Yeah. Um, but uh, it led me to feel depressed and I actually felt depressed for a number of years. And I came out of it because I received community support. And I think that's the link for me on how social injustice, I saw the daily social injustice that my family experienced, I stressed them out to the absolute limit. And leaving that, seeing the poverty, injustices, they will come and cut our, uh, they will come and cut our water supply uh, very often because we didn't have money to pay. Water supply, electricity supply, uh, basically, the, you know, the basic uh, bills that you have, the basic services that you have. And um, that was very acute for me. And seeing how that injustice of, of being, you know, family never being able to, to overcome that poverty uh, or working so hard, but always at the risk of destitution, uh, it stressed them out. And there was a lot of anger on top of, you know, their own unresolved traumas and then being taken on the kids. In this case, myself, you know, being beaten, being insulted and, and so on, um, which is not an excuse, but I had to come to learn that that was what's going on for them. But again, mm -hmm. I don't excuse that I have my boundaries, you know, that was, they also was their choice to, 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 to behave the way they behave with me. Um, but I can see the cycle uh, mm -hmm. and the importance uh, on how social injustices affect our mental health. And in my case, you know, I felt depressed uh, for many years. And community support, constant community support, helped me get out of it. So that's why I feel so passionate about uh, mental health being free for everyone, being available, and being, you know, coming in different forms, community. Um, so yeah, a long answer to your question. No, I mean, <laughs> thank you so much for everything you shared there and for being so honest about your own experiences. And, and I feel like I've already got a sense, a little bit of a sense of your story, even though I, I've got a million other questions off the back of that. You've sort of touched on this a little bit, but I'm interested to know kind of, with all of that in mind, what 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 would you say drives your work as a as a therapist? I know you're a counselor, a therapist. Um, what really drives your work and your passion behind that? So, I think because you know, I actually don't know why. I we will never have an answer as to why things happen to us, and I think that's something that not, none of us can resolve. Um, I have had so much happening to me in terms of what can go wrong in in sort of care for a child you know I was mentioning negligence unfortunately also uh, I'm myself a survivor of pedophilia um, um you know psychological abuse you know with parents at home that have perhaps undiagnosed mental health needs themselves that they're not receiving support mm. um uh, I couldn't go to university because we were so poor I wasn't allowed to go to university either when I got, I got actually three scholarships offered because I was quite, quite good at school. My grades were pretty brilliant, always the top of the class. But because of this gender uh, situation, girls stay at home, that applied to me. And I wasn't allowed to go and study. I wanted to be a doctor, a neurologist. That was my dream. So I'm really pleased I'm still, still I stay in health. Uh, uh, I worked since the age of nine. So, you know, uh, very conscious of being a child laborer, which is was a big issue in Bolivia too. We had a big, big percentage of children being uh, laborers, you know, working from the age of five, six, seven, uh, because of the poverty that the country experienced. 
Now, why I'm making reference to this is because I think for me, I am absolutely, absolutely, fundamentally sure and certain I believe that every human being absolutely matters. Every human being is valid. Every experience is valid. And all of us are wonderful people. I do believe that in, from the bottom of my heart. But I do believe too that the experiences that we have makes us have behavior, learned behaviors that might be self-destructive or destructive to others. But I fundamentally believe in what actually is the Andean belief as well in, in my country of something called Ahayu. And Ahayu is essentially our souls. So I believe that, I, I truly believe in every human being. Um, but because I've had myself these experiences, I've seen in my family, I've seen what all these daily struggles causes in people. I also know that we form a coping mechanism. We form a behavior. We form an attitude and we react to it to people. Not because we're bad people. I really, really don't agree with anyone that says, oh, we just, it's just a bad person. It's evil. I don't agree with that at all. I think from my own perspective, we have our own experiences. Our own experiences makes us believe and act in the way that we act. And that's why for me, I find that in therapy, and I hope I'm not diverting from the question, but uh, if I remember correctly what you asked, I think the, the, the importance for mental health and as a therapist is that I hope as a therapist, and I hope that all of us as in our humanity can accept that humanity that we have, but also accept that the way we behave is because of experiences that we have that are absolutely valid. And we can work on that. I don't, personally, I don't believe that we need to change the human because I think the human being, we have our soul, we have our, you know, our emotions. We we have this ahayu, which I hope people find, go and find out a bit more about the ahayu and the Indian. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but uh, we build mechanisms and that could be destructive. That could be helpful to people, but I think, and that's what the person-centered approach is as well. And that's why when I train as a person-centered, I am the best thing I've done in my life because it really, the principles of the, the person-centered approach really speak to me, speak to my heart, um, speak to what I believe in, which is, you know, congruence with people, you know, trying to understand the point of view, uh, em empathy and not judging. Uh, you have a valid point and your experience is absolutely valid too. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. It's just wonderful to get like a window onto that and the way that your own experience have sort of um, shaped, yeah, shaped your perspective and, and also like your therapeutic approach. Like that's, that's really interesting. And, and then I, my understanding is, so you became a local councillor, an elected member, how many years ago? May 2022. So I am elected until May 2026. Um, um, so, you know, it's been, it's been an incredible journey. Um, I was already feeling quite depressed as a child because of what was happening at home. And suddenly there was this big movement uh, of indigenous peoples uh, fighting back with the government. I was 11 years old. Uh, I, I, this is a, kind of like a very before and after moment for me in my life. Um, watching the news. Um, I always like communications. I, I, that's a, just a natural thing for me. I think I, I always felt attracted to it. So I watched a lot of the news. And um, there was this moment where the government planned to raise the cost of the bread. And I remember they tried to raise it by 
10 or 15 piece. I can't remember. I'm going to actually gonna go back and look because such a historic moment for me in my life. And I saw indigenous peoples, they went on a strike and they, they walked, I think around 200 kilometers. Wow. Yeah. In a in a in a as a protest, mm -hmm. saying we are not allowing you to increase the price of bread, and it was it was all indigenous people, especially women, women, you know, absolutely the voice uh, of uh, revolution in Bolivia, and I remember seeing that, and they won, they they the 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 price of bread didn't 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 go up, and their struggle really sent me a message that yes, we can. You know, we absolutely can. And they didn't they didn't know me, but I was following and I'm celebrating, but also translated to my life because I thought there is a way out. And that was in all the years of my depression at home, which lasted a good seven, eight years in my formative years, teenage years, which was a really hard time for me at the time. And mm -hmm. um, because it was it, it was the height of the abuses and so on. And knowing, seeing people who are discriminated, who, you know, there, there's a lot of disadvantages for them. They didn't give up. And for me, that was my hope. Now, I, in everything I do now, because my, my political education, my political sort of formation and militance comes from these struggles of my own people, where we have fought against hierarchy, against you know, a colonialism, the empire, um, you know, we, uh, our trade unions are absolutely the voice of the country. Mm -hmm. And that's how I became a trade unionist. And that's my beginning of the journey to come into being a counselor because, so I started working in community when I came to the UK. And uh, in the first month, in the first year, so in the first year and a bit, they almost they tried to deport me three times in the first two years. So I was almost deported three times. Wow. Okay. Uh, uh, with that threat. And I remember once the Home Office calling me to say, you know, we can deport you and I can send a van to, to, to deport you and your child. You know, you don't have the right to be here. And, and, and racist stuff like this as well, you know, that only a migrant can know, you know, we know that feeling. But coming to the bit about being a counselor now, that, those injustices led me to be a trade unionist. I thought, you know what, let me just join a trade union because when I was working as a community uh, and in a women's uh, organization, I realized that the, the, the common theme was, um, they don't pay me, my pay slips are fake. We find out that members are receiving fake pay slips, that there was this lady that, you know, I saw her, that came, she, said, she said that she had worked 13 years with an employer, and then she only found out in front of me when we made the call to, to the HMRC, that she never had any contributions paid towards her pension. Yeah. The, the face that you don't forget that. Mm -hmm. And then that led me to go to trade union because I thought, okay, well, actually, the issue is we have systematic uh, issues with workers' rights. And being in the trade union movement for a number of years, uh, I, I, I absolutely, those are my absolute favorite days. I'm still a trade union member uh, and, and, and I do a lot of work on that. But uh, when I was heavily involved as an organizer and so on, um, I saw that actually there was a lot of deregulation, a lot of, you know, stuff that actually at policy level we needed to change. So then it's when I thought, okay, actually let me go to a higher level, which is, you know, local democracy and local government. That's how, that's how I'm doing that now. 
and coupled with my sort of uh, uh, mental health, which actually not every every borough has this. Hackney, you know, Hackney is a phenomenal borough, you know, extremely diverse. Um, obviously, it's not perfect, but it's an incredible borough that human rights is, you know, at the core of everything we do. And mental health, you know, they they open this role for a mental health champion. And that's what I am now, which I'm honored to, to, to be. And I hope, you know, we do the best we can. Hi everyone, just interrupting the conversation for one second to remind you that we have so many resources, reports, blogs, videos and more podcasts over on our website and they're all absolutely free for you to access. But as you know, we are a charity and we rely on support to keep going and so we'd really value one-off or monthly donations or maybe this year you'd like to fundraise for us. Uh, There's links to all of this in the show notes. So thank you in advance for fueling the fight for better mental health. I wanted to ask, you know, both in your work as a a therapist and as a local counsellor based in Hackney, as a mental health champion, um, what would you say are the key issues you see affecting people's mental health day to day? Well, there are many. Uh, I love your question. Thank you. I really love your question. I feel that mental health, has been completely ignored, well, till now. Uh, there is a movement about mental health. I'm sure you in the organization, you know better than probably many people, how little empathy and how little interest there's, there's been for mental health. And you, mm-hmm. you've been part of that change, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've been consistent on what you believe mental health should be and be part of society. If we had, if we had had taken mental health in consideration, in parity of esteem with physical health, in parity of esteem with other human rights that we have, we would probably, I, I strongly believe that the world wouldn't be what it is if we really had paid attention to mental health being our human right, which has been a campaign that I've been leading since 2017, yeah. uh, where, where I launched a campaign that nearly 13,000 people signed. I was shocked. But, you know, again, this is, you know, I need ascended to Theresa May. Of course, I got a very bland, lame response <laughs> because, you know, there was no commitment. But we led on it. And then when I became mental health champion, uh, when I was interviewed by cabinet member, councillor Chris Kennedy, I remember saying very clearly, you know, if I, if you give, if, if I'm giving the role because, you know, a few of us were interviewing for it. I really want to focus on social injustice and the impact on mental health. And I want to go all out mm-hmm. in it because I live social injustice. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've been, you know, I've been a child laborer since the age of what, seven, eight, nine. And I know what it means to be in absolute poverty, which is what the Tories are doing at the moment. You know, all this austerity, anti-immigration policies, hostility towards us, you know, persecution of migrants and refugees and asylum seekers in the UK. Uh, hugely responsible because actually the UK creates these conflicts in the countries that people are coming from. Um, so um, the I feel for me that the biggest agenda, and, and this is my agenda for life, is that mental health becomes our human right. Um, I believe, strongly, strongly believe that if we had had the mental health as a human right from the beginning of times, we wouldn't have the wars that we have because you would have taken into account that actually bombing a city, killing people, affects people's mental health. And if we take mental health as a human right, you wouldn't be doing this. We wouldn't be in the situation that we are now. And I think that's why all of us have to join forces to make mental health power of fundamental human rights. Because when you have 
a conflict, when you have an issue, and, and again, the story, and I go back a lot to Bolivia, you can see how much I love my native country uh, and how inspired I am because of the social revolutions that we had there. But I've seen people being shot and killed for natural resources. And you can bring all the court justices, international court justices in the world that you want, but eventually no one, no one looks after the mental health. No one, absolutely no. There is no law that protects your mental health. There's no law that says this person is being consistently persecuted, consistently attacked, or the bank continues to send these letters threatening with more fines and evictions and whatever, and no one looks after your mental health. And I think that's why um, I was very, very, very lucky. And, I, and I'm very grateful that Hackney Council and the cabinet lead and the, the, the whole mental health team, public health in Hackney, we are so in tune with what we want for society and humanity. And they were really keen and helpful with the motion that I brought forward about making mental health our human right. So we are the first council in the UK and probably the world that listened to United Nations call for mental health to follow a human right approach. Yeah. So now we, we adopted it in council. It's the beginning, it's gonna be a long journey, I'm sure, but we are the first council not that it matters to me to be the first on things because I think that's also very capitalist, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it's a fact. It's a yeah, fact. yeah, yeah. So um, well done, Hackney Council. Well done, Cabinet. Well done, the mayor at the time, the mayor now. The, every, well done, Hackney Council. Well done, the people of Hackney that really said we are going with this motion and we're going to push forward. And I hope we uh, we we get to, 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 to that point where mental health is our human right. And that will protect us from many, many things. Thank you so much for that. And I think, yeah, you're so right. I feel like what we're seeing at the moment and what we at the centre are really fighting against is this kind of very individualised and kind of quite siloed approach to mental health, where we're finally recognising as a nation and in government that like mental health is important. I think there's been like some really good recognition of that, like as you've said, um, mm. and kind of what's needed in schools and all of these things. And these are all fantastic and these are all vital. But until we look at the bigger picture, like you're saying about bills and austerity and hostile environments and all of these things we aren't going to actually see real change happen and and kind of this sense of needing like a much more joined up approach and we're, we're often calling for a you know a cross-government approach and a sort of um a mental health in all policies test where you go okay but this policy that we're trying to bring through here this law that we're trying to bring through here about say housing or uh you know workplace discrimination or anything like this how does this policy how will this law affect people's mental health because at the moment i don't think we're kind of seeing that follow through um Absolutely. that kind of thread through so that's what we keep fighting for and i'm yeah i just am really grateful well, for what you said. yeah no thank you thank you because that's really well put that is the situation that we are at now um uh my because again person-centered therapy uh, is very much based on the here and the now and the reality and actually let's work on what it is and let's just not imagine that or hope that it will change let's work with what it is um i have a very strong view that uh it's going to be an, a very strong battle because also mental health uh mental health not being embedded across society means that there are people that don't want this to be embedded. There are, there are big winners, there are big profiteers. 
that are making a lot of money from, from, from the mental health crisis. This isn't just because I have a view about capitalism. I do, I do actually agree with business. I, I fully agree with business and, and everyone thriving, but I also believe in, you know, workers' rights. Uh, you're having a good job. You're having a good pension. You know, you dedicate your life to, to work. Uh, I don't personally believe that we've been born to work. I think work is just a, a, a coping mechanism for society so you can survive and exist. It's, you know, it's a way of, uh, of survival. But uh, ultimately, there are many many, many stakeholders or people that are absolutely interested in continuing the mental health crisis because it's giving a lot of money to people. You know, we, if you go to a therapy, if you go to UGP, already our NHS is, you know, oversubscribed and, you know, um, overworked, sorry, not oversubscribed, overworked. Um, we hear this story very often. We hear people going to get mental health support, you know, to explain to the UGP and so on, but very quickly they are diagnosed or overdiagnosed or, you know, the diagnosis comes really fast and then they are, you know, they are given uh, antidepressants as opposed to giving therapy, as opposed to giving, you know, other, other, other ways in which they can overcome or they can look at uh, the, the mental health challenges that they're having. So we have a high population that is, that has a high level of uh, antidepressants being taken. A lot of them, which I don't know how it is across the country, I don't have those figures and certainties. I couldn't say and I couldn't claim that as a fact. But my concern is often with the with the with the work that I have with clients or patients or you know the people that I work with, is that I see that those those medications don't have a review. So people that meant to have are meant to be having an antidepressant for three months, six months, they, they could be on them for years, including antipsychotic. So there is a lot of there is a lot of money being earned and 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 you know, uh, profits being made from not resolving the mental health crisis and that's my that's 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 my view yeah no thank you for sharing that and um something I wanted to come back to and you mentioned earlier about kind of experiences with the home office and as a, a new migrant here so yeah something we have been hearing a lot about recently and have been talking about ourselves at the center is kind of refugee mental health we know there's an awful mm. lot of rhetoric and uh some really problematic narratives around um migrants and refugees in this country and we're conscious that you know uh refugee mental health especially can be extremely poor and uh, there's a lot of barriers a lot of obstacles there so i don't know if you want to just tell us a little bit more about your perspective on that oh yeah well I i'm gonna i'm gonna start by saying that Part of the change that we need to have is exactly what you just done, which is giving the space. So asking the question, because refugees, asylum seekers and migrants get overlooked and we are used as a political football on a daily basis. We are blamed for everything. Um, as a migrant, I have more rights, perhaps. As It is interesting because there are different routes to migration um, and the the, the, the rhetoric against asylum seekers and refugees, I, I think is extremely shameful for the UK, for any country that chooses to close the doors to people that ultimately, and most of the time, are fleeing the very conflict that the countries like the United Kingdom has created in them. I speak from a place of experience. This is not a criticism I have or a judgment. I just have uh, one opinion I formed through news or passing comments. This is my lived experience of what the United Kingdom, the Empire, 
um, uh, you know, Europe has done to countries like mine, let them try, you know, take them completely all the resources, extract our resources and leave us in absolute poverty. And mm -hmm. then we need to go and find ways to, 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 to survive because of what they did to us for centuries, not just a year or two, centuries. Now, I find it extremely cynical, extremely cynical that the United Kingdom and countries in Europe or those countries that have, again, you know, extract so much resources and continue to do it. I just been to, to, to Africa and I was, I was delighted to be there, but I was upset half of the time, almost the time angry saying, how come you have so much gold, but it is also, you know, the situation that you're in in certain areas. So, but that's not, maybe it's another podcast that I'm happy to be called for. <laughs> But yeah, we'll book you now. <laughs> there, there is an absolute cynicism to this. And I hope that if there is, uh, you know, the people that I work with in my community as well that are in the process of waiting to hear whether they get, um, you know, um, the status, asylum status or refugees, that, that you know, there are refugees here. Um, my position is keep going. You know, we're going to do everything we can because you have the right to be here. Uh, you are not alone. Um, I don't think, I don't believe in, you know, borders. We should we should have free movement, uh, all of us, uh, like the UK had in many nations around the world, you know, for centuries. So we, we should definitely be continuing to fight for the mental health and support for them. But I think the first step is this, as I was just saying with, uh, to you, like even talking about it, that means acknowledgement. And often, you know, in therapy also, the fact that you feel acknowledged can be so healing more than having, I don't know, you know, that can actually do the work of three months work of therapy. The fact that you're acknowledged, the yeah. fact that you say, I see you mm -hmm. and I, I, I feel and I, I accept you, I respect you and I absolutely acknowledge you. That can be so healing. So even just talking about this, putting it out online, people hearing about it, the, 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 it brings healing to our communities. Um, I was, uh, just to say as well, I wanted to add, so when I came to the UK in Bolivia, at the time, this was 20 years ago, I offered to come through boats. And I said, no, no. So why I want to share this is because this isn't a, 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 a thing of just last year. What we've seen, especially after Brexit, we've seen, of course, the magnitude of the anti-migrant policies, but this has existed for decades. But we are now, the, the, the broader public is seeing it. But this has existed, racism, you know, hostile environment. And so it's true, there were less, uh, perhaps, uh, um, there were less pressures before or on social media, perhaps, you didn't know too much about it, but we were living it already, you know? So, and I mean, I was four days away from becoming undocumented because no bank wanted to open a bank account for me. And they told me, they even told me, Bolivians, no welcome here. And I oh. had to leave the bank. I actually literally had to leave the bank. Some, even security will come and say, sorry, no, 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 you have to go. I said, why? I want to open a bank account. I have all the rights. I have all my criteria. I have all the checklists. And they wouldn't let me. So, mm -hmm. you know, this has been going on for a long time, but we're just hearing it now. Um, and I will say, um, I hope that more funding is released. We need to sort out, you know, of course, the mental health crisis. Uh, and as a last point, I'll just mention this bit related to, to, to how I feel. And this part of the campaign, I also, I also feel very strong about is that we need to look really closely as to how the NHS and the talking therapists and specifically IATS 
is working because uh, I don't know if you know this and actually this is actual facts. You can go online, you can look it up today. I'm happy to share the link. Uh, the NHS, uh, the, our wonderful NHS, says the details, uh, live data on how psychological talking therapy is being uh, sort of um, allocated and taken. And you can look at it any moment. There is actually monthly reports and yearly reports, quarterly reports. If you look at, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the health commission, by the way, that's why I also feel very passionate about this topic. But um, if you look at it now, the national data says that roughly speaking, 1.6 million people are referred for therapy, for talking therapy. So that's 1.6 million. Out of those 1.6 million people, only 600,000 complete treatment, okay? So we're talking about roughly at national level, and of course that can you know be different in every borough, but at national level, we're talking about a million people that actually don't engage in therapy or in the sessions, okay? Now, out of those 600,000 people that do complete sessions or the treatment, to be considered as completed, you only have to attend two sessions out of 10. So what I'm saying is that, and, and this is something that I have requested and I'll continue to request until it happens, that we do a scrutiny over what's happening in IATS. I'm part of the Northeast London Health Commission uh, that looks at four boroughs, uh, the, you know, the delivery of NHS in four boroughs. And I'm really excited to look at this because this to me says that the formula is not working. And what, what happens with that million people that get the funding, but actually the people don't, don't access it. And, and it might be because it's not, it's not a system that works. And that money, I hope those funds could be released and diversified to the rest of the communities. For example, supporting groups and mental health for refugees, for asylum seekers, for organizations that provide this, but don't have the funding. And I feel, I, I might be completely wrong. I hope I am, but I, I feel that there is a chunk of money that of public funds that is being not utilized in the way that it should be because of whatever reason, we need to find out why. It's a system that has continued to be like that for years. So we need to, you need to redistribute that funds. So it goes to projects like, for example, supporting refugees, supporting asylum seekers, supporting, supporting women, for example, that have fertility issues and, and families that have fertility issues that go completely invisible in the country. They have such little support except from the charities that work so hard. But, mm. you know, there are many areas that need support, but they don't have it because there's not funds. But we have funds that is, I don't think, fully working. A long answer again. To no, no, I mean... I really would love to actually carry on talking about that. Maybe we'll have to come bring you back for another podcast. I think I think the whole kind of NHS talking therapies thing is a really interesting conversation. I think, mm. um, you know, IAPT has, I think has been amazing at bringing therapy to more people. Oh, yes. But equally, you know, we know that there's major kind of inequality of access as well. That kind Absolutely. of, I know, we know that people from some black communities are far less likely to access or complete a course mm -hmm. of therapy. You know, we hear about quite a lot in, we've heard on our podcast and in other blogs, how, you know, a lot of mainstream therapy is not set up for people um, who are from racialized communities, for instance, um, mm -hmm. about the fact, as, as we kind of touched on um, before we start recording about kind of lack of representation within therapeutic mm -hmm. um, professionals. So there's, there's so much there that still needs to be unpacked to make sure that mental health services actually work for Absolutely. everyone and are effective for everyone. So I totally Absolutely. agree with you. 
Absolutely. I mean, I have colleagues just on that point. I have colleagues because I work, you know, with the migrant communities, especially the Latin American communities. I do a lot of work on that since that they really, after I couldn't access my bank accounts, I felt very inspired to work in the community. And that's where I started my community work. But I was just going to say that, for example, I've seen so many colleagues that have masters after masters and, you know, a huge amount of experience. You know, I, I'm I'm really far behind from the experience that they have. And they cannot get their, their degree recognized in the UK. That's another barrier that they have. You know, I training here, I send my documents and I got my, my license what, within what a week. And they, I have colleagues that for years and actually they had to retrain even in a lower, in a lower uh, degree that the experience that they had in the home countries because there is barriers to act. Not, not, every, not every nationality can actually go through the process of, you know, uh, working or having the say, psychology degree or psychiatry and et cetera. They, it's, a, it's a very gruesome process in the UK and that forms, I think, part of the inequality. Uh, but yeah, and we we can go on, but I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, Claudia, thank you so much for joining me today. It has really been an inspiring chat and I would love to chat longer. We'll have you on again, but thank you. Like, just oh, good luck you. and best wishes with everything that you're doing. Like, strength to you because we thank it's amazing. You. We're grateful for you. So thank you. No, thank you. We are going to work arms in arms for mental health. I'm so happy that, uh, you know, meeting as well. Andy, so inspirational. I and mean, you guys are you are guys amazing. So thank you. Let's continue to work together. And for everyone that listened to this podcast and feel, I, I hope you leave committed or more reaffirmed with mental health. Let's, let's all join forces. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope this conversation inspired you in the fight for mental health equality. We rely on support to fight for change. So please give what you can at centreformentalhealth.org.uk slash donate. See you next time.